you for joining me here at Take a Knee. This is a time where I'm going to just be discussing some topics that are cultural, that are church-related, church-life-related, and just sharing my heart. And to just let you know that uh, my name is Pastor David, and I've been doing this for many years. And we're going to be talking again today about worship. This is the Holy Week, and we're getting ready to celebrate Easter here at, at Valley Community Church. And there's so many topics that we could be talking about. I've prepared the message this weekend to really talk about the Passover, to talk about the power of what Jesus really did for us. But today I want to talk about worship as we approach that, as we approach that time, as why it is so incredibly important. But here lately I've noticed a trend of criticizing modern worship. And I just want to leave it out there because it is always done in a third-person type drive-by way using memes or scripture twisting. And honestly, it's never really brought to bear as to who or what they're really talking about. So what I mean is there is obviously some angst there is some, what I would call, religious angst out there. There are people trying to figure out, why is the church doing what it's doing? And turning down the lights and having communion and using cups and, and uh, you know, having modern worship tunes. I mean, who would ever thought? Did Jesus talk about having drums in church? I mean, what's go- what in the world is going on? Well, I want to really cut to the chase because I want to go on record and just share my heart about what worship is you know, first I want to say that Andrea, my wife, and I were worship leaders at a church for eight full years of, of our ministry. Matter of fact, that's how we really came together and and our love for music and our love for worship. And since we've had children, all of my children have been involved in music and have been involved as, in leadership at, in the musical portion of the church service that we call worship. And that's been really for the last 25 years or so. So I got to tell you, I'm kind of qualified to speak on this topic, not only from you know a pastoral point of view, but also from a musical point of view. I'm a musician. My wife's a musician. All my kids are musicians. And we love using our skills for the glory of God. So boom, man, you can go right there into the book of Psalms. You can look at the life of David. David was a musician. He was not just a musician. He was a skillful musician. In fact, David, when he began to create the the uh, experience of worship in the temple, you'll notice that he took a portion of the Levites and said, you guys are going to create worship music so that it's always going on 24-7. Isn't that amazing? And you notice that God didn't really talk about that in the temple, in the the temple in the wilderness. He didn't talk about music at all. This was, this was pretty much all David. It shows his heart. In fact, David is never rebuked about it. David is never cautioned. He's never told, hey, look, quit adding to my Levitical setup here. In fact, David was honored for it. God loved the worship, and uh, he was a man after God's own heart, as it had said. So I would like to think, my family and I would like to think that we were set apart by God to use our musical gifts for God's glory in many ways, including worship. So what I'm about to share, in addition to some of the things I've already shared, really comes from my experience in thoughtful thoughtful doctrinal consideration. In other words, I've taught on this over and over and over again, and I want to share some thoughts. But people tend to criticize modern worship because of, I'm going to hit it, here it is, jealousy. 
Okay, that's not going to be the only emotion or struggle people have, but I find that to be the case, that a lot of times when we are lashing out, that it's it's a revealing of our heart. It's not just they want to expose what they see as you know, heresy or darkness or confusion or, hey, you shouldn't be doing it that way. No, it's, I hate to say it, but it, it, it's, it's, it's jealousy. We criticize most often what threatens us or tends to make us jealous. The human heart is a very sneaky thing. And when I find myself criticizing another ministry, and I do, I hear my own words in my head and they bounce right back to me with a whisper from the Holy Spirit. My heart is being exposed without question. And I should rejoice at others, shouldn't I? Shouldn't we rejoice when we see success in ministry? If we see people getting excited about Jesus, getting excited about what Jesus has done for them, to really, maybe even for the first time in their life, get emotional about the relationship they have with Christ. You know, and I'm not talking about heresy or manipulation. These are exceptions, obviously. We're talking about just people with good hearts, using their gifts for the glory of God, and helping people, what I like to call just setting the table, the opportunity for people to really enjoy the presence of God. So I'm, I'm really trying to share my heart here that if you don't understand it, then perhaps you shouldn't criticize it. Jesus said that if, if they're not against us, then they're for us. I want to remind you there, you're going to find that little story in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 and 39. And the disciples come hurriedly to Jesus and say, you're not going to believe it. They're over there doing ministry in your name. Let's go stop them. They're not a part of us. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, no, no. He said, if they're not against us, they're for us. If they're doing ministry, just because it's not a part of our team and what we're doing, let's not stop them. Let's not go over there and rebuke them. Let's not criticize them. So Jesus pointed that out early in his ministry to say, you know, people are watching what's going on here and people know what helps them. People knows, know instinctively what sets them free. So the disciples of John, of course, were jealous that Jesus was gaining more disciples than he was. Jesus was told that others were speaking in his name. And again, once again, he did not can criticize either of them. He didn't criticize John because he knew that God works in many creative ways to reach people. John had a ministry, and it was preparing the way for the Lord. He was that voice of the one crying out in the desert, prepare. And let's think about that just for a minute. Isn't worship preparing the way for the Lord? Isn't worship an opportunity for us to get our heart right? We've been struggling all week long. We, we were trying to get ready for church. We're throwing on clothes, getting the kids dressed. And, and it doesn't take very long before we get out of, we get out of rest. And as we walk into that building, you know, that, that the first thing you want, the last thing you want to hear is what I want to say is, 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 is being condemned for your attitude. No, you want to begin your day with, Hey, let's, Let's, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I surrender my soul. I honor you, and I want to sing. I want to rejoice. I want to release my soul to engage with God, to, you know, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, to shout it out. So, honestly, I guess I do not understand why Christians and church leaders would be unhappy about a church that is reaching this next generation. And so let's talk about that, too. Let's talk about the fact that so many of the traditions 
that the church have, has embraced is we've come to think that, that they're somewhat magical because of the tradition that maybe if you do it this way, this way, that way, we kind of put it all together, then boom, the Holy Spirit shows up. You know, I, honestly, that's not what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. He said, look, the Spirit is like the wind, and it goes wherever it wants to. In fact, capturing the wind is a great analogy. In other words, to say, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit in particular are not easily captured, are not easily figured out. He's the lion of Judah. And I love that in C.S. Lewis's story when he says, you know, the lion is not a tame lion. And so there is a, a sense of wooing the Lord. There's a sense of that anybody who wants to have a relationship, it's just like to take time, you know, to keep it creative, to keep it alive, to keep it real, you know? And so that really gets me to talking here in just a moment about John chapter 3 and 4. We'll talk about that. But Paul said that he became all things to all men that he might gain or win some. What on earth does that mean? What was Paul doing? Well, I'll tell you what he was doing. He, he reached across the, the, the table. He got out of his comfort zone of being a Jew. And, and let's just re recall that this man was very tight-fisted in his understanding of Scripture and his understanding of worship, so much so that he was putting Christians to death. So that's how religious and traditional he had become. But Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, but Paul, when Jesus visits him, and breaks this and finds, and, and Paul discovers who Christ is. He is the disciple, the, I'm sorry, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one who gets out of his comfort zone and goes to reach people who were not near to God at all. So he breaks all the traditions and he says, look, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that's what he's saying there. I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach. And you know what? That's what people are doing today in that modern worship. It's like, look, if a person can hear a Fender guitar wailing on an awesome lead, and that is something that causes a millennial to come to Jesus, to, to break through and, 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 and cry out to God, well then, man, let's break out the Fenders, man. Let's, let's do whatever it takes in order to reach this ne next generation. Because can I remind the listener here that this church is, is, is not really doing well in America right now, and we need a revival and so I think in the, in the sense of what Paul is saying here, I think we need to kind of reach deeper into the bag by the grace of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Be open to whatever God wants to use. So let's talk a little bit more about worship. See, there's a big difference between what is called worship and praise. The Psalms show us examples of both. I could teach on this topic for hours, but for the sake of a quick catch-up, praise is about celebration. And that's important for you to understand because praise and worship, really, many, many years ago when I first came to Christ, that was a rediscovery. That was a discovery in the church. You mean we can shout unto God with a voice of triumph? We can lift our voices and, and cry out to God in a worship service? Why not? They did. You just read through Psalm 141 and through 147, you'll see that the language is very, it's, it's exuberant. It's, it's the writers of the psalm, probably wasn't David, but it was but it influenced by David. 
that praise was shouting, it was yelling, it was celebrating, it was raising hands, it was getting on your face before God. It was very physical, it was very vocal, celebrating a, a, a victorious God. Now, some people have come to me and said, well, that was just a cultural thing. That's just what Jews did at that period of time in history. Well, the last I checked in a Super Bowl or a football game or a basketball game, I see a lot of people getting fanatically excited about their team. Then why can't I be excited and celebrate God in a similar way? I mean, who else deserves any more celebration than, of course, Jesus himself? See, remember, we're talking about praise here, okay? And I think when we think of Jesus, especially this week, and we think of all that he's done for us, man, he deserves our celebration. Now, worship is a different matter. Worship in the Old Testament almost always was accompanied by sacrifice. And that's important because when we think of this Passion Week, we are where we are. We can celebrate and worship because of what Jesus did for us. We are here because of sacrifice. The Bible tells us that now our sacrifice is just our adoration. The, the, the fruit of our lips giving thanks, that's our reasonable worship. It is now living sacrifices. Isn't that interesting? That when we come to worship God, we are literally laying our lives down. Instead of just singing a bunch of hymns, and reminding ourselves about how good God is. No, no, no. We we need if we're going to worship, then we need to we need to worship. We need to understand that I am now presenting myself as a living sacrifice before God, and I'm offering a sacrifice of praise through my mouth. Because see, I got saved by believing in my heart that Jesus Christ was Lord, and then confessing with my mouth. I'm not saying we get resaved over and over again. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is we reiterate. We continue to remind ourselves and God of who he is to us. That is the living sacrifice. And it's so amazing. So I believe we've limited worship to just an event, which I suppose could be evaluated more critically. But ask yourself this question. How do we know whether a person is really worshiping or not? When I led services musically, I could rarely tell whether a person was actually worshiping. Let me explain. I mean, I'd see a person down there and their, their arms are folded or maybe they're looking at their watch or maybe they're, they're looking a little uncomfortable at what's going on. And then after the service is over, they walk up to me and say, that was the most amazing service I've ever experienced. God spoke to me this, this, and I'm like, what? I couldn't even tell that you were even interested. And what that taught me was you can never tell what's really going on inside a heart. And so if we're going to criticize what's going on just by seeing a snapshot of a church or maybe a visual of a bunch of young people up there worshiping God, and yet for us to sit there and criticize and say they're not really worshiping the Lord, you know, that's a little silly. That's a little silly. That tells me that something else is going on there. See, I never knew what song or what event or what action would produce the desired contrition I was hoping for as a leader. Never knew. Could never tell. But what I learned was that it takes, it takes a lot. It takes many things. Sometimes just a word. Sometimes a smile. Sometimes a certain chord progression. Sometimes just being quiet. You never knew. In the end, worship or acknowledging the hallowed name of our God. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, pray like this. 
Our Father who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice that the Lord's Prayer begins with worship. That's what he told us to do. Who lives in heaven, and it comes down to us in our heart. So I ask this question of those who criticize modern worship and praise. Do you know what is happening in the hearts of people? Do you? Do you think that using only hymns would surely produce the effect that one would deem holy and true? I mean, if that's what your belief is, amen, more power to you. But I've seen a whole lot more than perhaps you've seen. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the Father is looking for worshipers. Isn't that amazing? And I don't think that has changed from what Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman at the well. He just wanted to, he said, look, the Father's looking for worshipers. Honestly, I think he still is. And he broke it down into two basic heart examinations, spirit and truth. His point was powerfully illustrated in John chapter 3 and 4. So he spoke to Nicodemus, who had truth, but he did not have worship in spirit. And Jesus pointed that out to me. He goes, Nicodemus, you're a smart man. You're a man who knows the word, you're honored, but you do not know God because you don't, you're not being led by the Spirit. You're not really worshiping, buddy. You need to be born again. And so he was saying he was blindly believing in something he did not know. And I wonder, is a lot of that going on today? The woman at the well supposedly had spirit. We're talking John 4 here. But she did not have truth. So she's saying, hey, we worship at that mountain over there. And Jesus rebuked her. And he says, well, that's not the place where you're supposed to worship. So you're deceived. He said, you, you've got a lot of spirit there, honey, but you don't have the truth. Well, what is truth? Well, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The point is this. We need both in order to please the Father, who is working, looking for worshipers. So to be truthful before God, to acknowledge that we need him, and then to be able to have a, a spiritual connection. I can't even fully define that other than it, that it requires more than just singing a song. What messes up truth is jealousy and judgment. It really does. Jesus exposed both in the religious churchgoers. He, he, he pointed that out to his disciples. He says, look at them. They're all dressed up. They're walking in, giving their, their awesome offerings. And the whole time, none of it is being received by God. Then he points out to the woman, the, the poor widow woman, who gives her little widow's might. And he says, there it is. There's a woman who is truly worshiping because she's giving from her poverty. So what messes up spirit is legalism. Legalism, judgment, and ignorance. The Father knows what is real because he knows the heart, and only he can tell us whether he likes our, ador our adoration. Did you hear what he just said? Only he is the one. I mean, we can, we can tell our girlfriend or our wife, or you know, I love you, and you show them love, but if, they, if that's not being translated to love, then you're not loving them. Okay, God is the one who says, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. This, I'm the one who determines adoration. And, or, you know, maybe he's still waiting for us to actually adore him. I mean, maybe that's really where we are. We should let him decide if his children are genuinely worshiping him or not. In the meantime, we set a table using many different musical styles and cultural influences to help people 
You hear what I said? To help people. We're trying to encourage people to enjoy the green eggs and ham, I like to say, right? Try it, try it, and you'll see. Most people don't really, they're not comfortable with being emotional before God. They're not comfortable with letting the Holy Spirit. I mean, I've heard Christians who say, yeah, I don't really know about this Holy Spirit thing. Holy Spirit thing? Jesus said he's the advocate. He's a person, and he he wouldn't come until he left. And his job was to reveal and to bring us into a closer, intimate relationship with God. That was his job. That is his job. So, yeah, taste and see the Lord is good. And I'm guaranteeing you will enjoy it. So finally, I'll finish this in saying that worship does not just take place with music or a service. Okay? You know, you've heard it said, but it's absolutely true. It's not just a musical portion. We don't just call that worship. We don't just worship at 10.30 or 10 o'clock, one hour on the first day of the week. You know, no, we worship every day. Worship is something we do. Every single day. It is out of sacrificial giving. It is our loving people when we don't feel like it. It is, it is prayer to just talk to God and thank him for the wonderful blessings. It's all of it. So to just criticize one portion honestly is silly. Let's just get busy making worshipers in any way we can. I think that would please the heart of God. So, you know, for my last little smart alecky uh, connection here. Let me ask you, you know, would you rather worship and using so many different things throughout the world? Would you rather go underground like the Chinese? Would you rather use a three-string guitar with all they have down in South America? Is it is it more spiritual to worship out in 110 degrees in some nation in Africa? I mean, is it is that more worship? Are they not worshiping because they don't have an organ? Are they not worshiping because they don't have a hymn book? Are they not worshiping because they don't have what we have? Okay, now we've really brought it home, haven't we? Because the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. We don't really need anything other than a worshipful heart. Folks, thanks for joining me today. God bless you, and you have a great week.